We're ready to begin another week of our four-and-a-half-year verse-by-verse journey through all of God's inspired Word. And today I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, which is where we ended last episode. But I really want us to go back to the very first verse of this chapter and uh, make sure we understand the foundation before we start going to the illustrations again. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And you already know I have a preference for the old King James wording here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the underpinning. It's the framework underneath the things that we're hoping for, like the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the saints, being in the eternal presence of God the Father. So, Faith is the underpinning of all those things. It's also the conviction or the convicting evidence of things not seen. So we didn't see all of the things uh, that Scripture decide, or describes for us, but Scripture has provided enough information that it is believable. It is something we can put our trust, our faith in. Uh, In the book of Romans, we are reminded that creation itself speaks out loudly as evidence for the existence of God and for his creative acts. And so here the author reminds us all that faith is trusting God. But it's not a leap into the dark. It is not believing in things that we we know can't possibly be true. It is considering all of the evidence, all of the testimony already provided. This is why Bible study is so very, very important to the Christian experience. The more you study your Bible the more faith you should have. The less you study your Bible, the weaker your faith will be. I guarantee it. And so let's make sure we build up our faith by understanding the illustrations that come straight out of Scripture. Verse number two, for by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And then we start going through some examples. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's Genesis, the very first book written by Moses as testimony to God's creative work. And so the book of Genesis combined with creation itself, just looking around, is a sufficient building up of our faith. It helps us to be more trusting of God. Then we come to one of the first stories in the book of Genesis. It is the story of the first death of a human being. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, 
through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And though, uh, though, excuse me, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so the story that you can read for yourself is that Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, were giving to God sacrifices. Abel, because he had a relationship with God and trusted God, he gave the best of his animals. Cain, who apparently did not have a relationship with God, or at least it was severely deficient, he did not trust God, so he kept the best for himself and gave God the secondary stuff out of his fields. And when God called him on that, told him that his heart wasn't right, and if he didn't fix it, that sin was looking for a chance to take him down. Uh, And uh, instead of repenting, Cain did what a lot of people do when they get called on the carpet for their own sin. He has a fit about the actions of his righteous brother. And the two of them get into some sort of altercation, and I think Cain only intended to hurt him badly, but he ends up killing him. I think this is the first instance of manslaughter in Scripture. Uh, and after he is dead, after Cain is uh, Abel is dead, God calls Cain on the carpet again and says, where's your brother? And Cain is evasive. Not my day to watch him. Am I bro- my brother's keeper? And God said, I know exactly where he is because his blood is crying out to me. And then God established a manslaughter uh, uh, punishment against Cain, uh, basically banishing him from the very ground that he seemed to enjoy growing things in uh, and uh, putting a mark on him so that no one would kill him for killing uh, Abel, but only just keep him moving along. So the point that the Hebrew writer jumps on top of here is that even though Abel died because of his faith, he's still speaking to us. He is still providing testimony about that faith to us because we're still talking about his story here, thousands upon thousands of years later. So that's the power of the evidence of Scripture, the evidence of the stories of faith that help us to build our faith up. Now, another story that comes from the book of Genesis is about Enoch. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. So he did not go through the dying process like everybody else around him did. He basically was not found, it says, because God had taken him. Now, those of you who already know me, um, you know what I'll say next. Those of you that don't know me very well, get ready. Uh, I think Enoch will eventually die. I actually think he was taken away into the future and that he will be one of the two witnesses that's uh, talked about in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, 
and uh, that he will die and then be resurrected three and a half days later and caught up uh, to heaven just a few days before the second coming of Jesus. That's my belief. Uh, But the point of the Hebrew writer is Enoch had faith in God, trusted God, based on all the stuff that he'd heard and seen uh, in his life up to that point. And so God, God took him out of this world. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So there is a record that is entered in that his faith pleased God. And that is why I think he will be uh, still useful to God in our future. Now, verse 6 is a key verse. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. That is to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, and you see that draw near phrase, we've been using that in the book of Hebrews already. Drawing near is to come and have relationship with God. Uh, We're coming and having relationship with God through the the, uh, death and the resurrection of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have faith, you can't please God. And whoever wants to please God, whoever wants to come near to God, must first believe that he exists and then that he rewards those who seek him. So there's two almost duh moments here in the text. Number one, you can't very well come to God and have relationship with him if you don't believe in him. That's definitely a big duh. And it's, a, it's an issue we have a problem with nowadays. Uh, one of the things that we Christians are constantly having to wrangle with is coming face-to-face with people who have no belief in the supernatural, who reject it out of hand. They think everything has come into existence by natural means and uh, that uh, supernaturalism is a fallacy, it is a foolishness, and it is hard to get them over that hump. Uh, One of the benefits of creationist uh, evangelism, like what is recommended uh, by uh, uh, Ken Ham and and, uh, the whole uh, um, Answers in Genesis program, is that if you come across somebody that doesn't believe in supernaturalism, you got to get them over that hurdle first and then introduce them to God who created all things. So anyone that wants to come near to God must first believe that he exists, and here's the second part, you have to believe that he rewards those who are looking for him. See, it doesn't do you any good to have this sort of attitude. Well, there's probably a God out there somewhere, but I doubt he's interested in me. I doubt that he would do anything on my behalf. Uh, This is another Uh, philosophical problem that we can run up against, and that is um, this deism sort of attitude. Yeah, it kind of looks like things are organized, kind of looks like things were designed. I I don't believe in things coming into existence by accident, not the way that they look, but I just don't see a God... Uh, that's made all of that stuff being interested in little specks like us. Well, 
we have to get them past that in order to introduce them to Jesus, who died and rose again. So, in order to have true faith, you have to believe in God, and you have to believe that he wants relationship with us, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, back to some more illustrations. Verse number seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. And so here's another story from the book of Genesis. Uh, This time it's the story of when God is so um, done with the sin that's going on in the world, 10 generations in, uh, and it's being really kind of stirred up by the the fallen angels messing around with human women. Uh, That's Genesis chapter 6. So God says, enough is enough. I'm going to drown everyone. Actually, I'm going to drown everything, and I'm going to start over. And then Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God gave him the plans for a big box a big floating box called an ark. And Noah, who had never seen rain falling out of the sky before, that seems to have been um, something that comes after uh, the flood occurs. Uh, He has a choice now. He already believes in God, and he seems to be a seeker of God, but now does he trust God when God says, I'm going to drown the whole world you need to be, a, be building a box for yourself and the animals. Now he chooses. Do I build it or do I not build it? So by faith, by trust, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, a box, for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world... Now, don't misunderstand that. The world was going to drown. The world was definitely on the chopping block. Uh, so he was, not the, he was not the final decider that the world was going to be judged. Uh, but he definitely participated in it by trusting God's threat. Uh, you'll hear me say from time to time, uh, we need to trust God in his promises, and in his threats. So, Noah trusted God's threat, and so he built the box, he condemned the world, but he also became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So here we are, many, many, many centuries, several millennia after the flood, and we're still talking about Noah and how he trusted God and built the box, and was saved. Well, he's an example to us of faith. Verse number eight. By faith, and something you should understand as we're going through here, each succeeding person in this chain has been hearing about the things that came previous. And so as we go through time, the evidence for God being trustworthy just keeps building 
and building and building and building. The substance gets more strong and the uh, convicting evidence gets larger. So by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So he's just hanging out in the region of the Mesopotamian basin that he apparently grew up in, and suddenly God sees in him the the beginnings of faith, the ability to trust him. And so God makes himself known to him, introduces himself as God Most High, and says, Abraham, I got somewhere I want you to go. Leave and keep going south until I tell you to stop. Now, Abraham had a choice at this point. Do I trust God and go someplace where I've never been? Or do I just say, no thanks, and hang out here? Well, if he'd done the unbelieving thing and just stayed in Ur of the Chaldees, we wouldn't know of him as the hero of faith. But he did trust God, and he went south and ended up in Canaan. By faith, verse 9 says, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. So he, he didn't even go there to you know, just occupy it instantly. He went there to be an immigrant. Uh, a green carter is what we would say here in the United States. He went there to be uh, just um, a migrant, a, a, a migrant resident. Now, he was living in tents along with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So the next couple of generations, same situation. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The writer of Hebrews is clearly talking here about heavenly Jerusalem. He is talking about the eternal presence of God in reality. And so Abraham, when he traveled to Canaan, his faith was in bigger things than just Canaan. He was trusting that God had something very special. And that's what God kept telling him, that he did have something special for him and his seed after him. He just needed to trust him. And it wasn't just him, it was his wife. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So both Abram and Sarah are honored for their faith. Now, did they always have that faith? No, sometimes they acted in unfaith. Uh, sometimes they tried to help God out or question, how's that supposed to work? But in their main thrust of life, they trusted God. And even though Sarah was 90 years old, uh, past her ability by natural means to conceive, so she was postmenopausal. she trusted that she would still get pregnant, and she did. 
And Abraham, Abraham was approaching 90, or excuse, approaching 99, uh, approaching 100, and uh, he trusted God as well. Verse 12, therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, you know, when you're 100 years old, in most cases of human uh, stories, you are living on bonus years. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born seed, or descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, the Hebrew writer has clearly been reading in the Old Testament, because that's the similes, that's the metaphors that are used by God when expressing to Abraham how many offspring he's going to end up with. It's going to be too many for you to even want to count. Do you want to count the sand on the seashore, the grains? It's going to be more than you want to count. You want to count the stars up in the sky? No, that's too many. It's going to be more than what you want to count, Abraham. And that's exactly what happened. And it wasn't just those that came of his flesh, because all of us Christians, all of us believers who are Gentiles, don't have a drop of Abrahamic blood in us. We're still Abraham's kids. We're still part of his descendants, and we count as sand uh, grains and as stars in the sky. Now, verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So part of the point that he's trying to make here is that the heroes of faith did not realize the fullness of the things that they'd put their faith in the permanent relationship with God in eternity was one of the things that was being focused on here. Uh, the, the promise of God being kept that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Those sorts of things were not completed by the time these guys passed away. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make clear that they are seeking a homeland. Uh, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. So again, the, the idea here is that Abraham, when he went to the promised land, could have always decided to go back to Ur of the Chaldees, but he didn't because he trusted there was something big going on because that's what God told him. Uh, later, when the Israelis left Egypt, um, some of them even rabble-roused to go back to Egypt. They were going to appoint another leader and head back. Uh, but if they had done that, they would have not realized the fullness of faith, the promised land. And that's going to come up in uh, part of the book of Hebrews here. Uh, so faith is not just simply a one-time thing. It is an ongoing thing because our faith cannot be completed until we are in the literal 
and eternal presence of God the Father. Our hope has not yet been realized. It's still just hope. So we need to hang in there and desire that better country, that heavenly one. Uh, and then keep in mind this, the uh, second part of 16, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Uh, Old Testament uh, passages, a couple of them, talk about how uh, God says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So God claims us, God wants us to be part of his family, part of his eternal kingdom. And so when we put our trust in that and seek after him, we will be blessed. More illustrations. Let's stick with Abraham a little bit longer. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Now, only there in the sense of the promised son. He actually has another son named Ishmael. Uh, but the wording for only here is monogenes, one of a kind, his one of a kind son. So he had received the promises about this one of a kind son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your seed be named, your offspring. Uh, that's Genesis 21, 12. And Paul makes a really big deal out of that being a, a singular offspring or seed here. Uh, over in the book of Galatians. So here's the point. Abraham had Isaac, a miracle baby. He and Sarah both had miracle baby Isaac. Miracle baby Isaac grew up, but he was not yet married and therefore had no children himself when God told Abraham he wanted him to trust him and offer this one-of-a-kind son that the promise was supposed to come through, that in your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. And Abraham did trust God. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That's the power of that story in Genesis, is that Abraham's faith was basically this. God promised me that through Isaac, all my seed would be named and all my seed would be blessed. Isaac doesn't have any kids yet. God wants me to sacrifice Isaac. If I sacrifice Isaac because I trust God, God will have to resurrect him from the dead. That's the thought process. And uh, God, of course, called it off at the last second. So he did, in fact, basically get his son back from the dead. 